Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. chapter 18 of the story, which is the book of Daniel this morning. And so I encourage you to uh, maybe place your bookmark there in the book of Daniel. We'll be going different places in scripture this morning. But as I think on, on the story of Daniel, I go back to my days at VBS growing up. Uh, Daniel is like a made for TV, like movie, right? Or, or, or for the big screen. I mean, the big moments, right? Of Daniel in the lion's den, the fiery furnace, <clears throat> remarkable stories of God's supernatural invention. But this book has a lot more than just these incredible stories. And I think it has an incredible word for us today in our own time, in our own place that I want to encourage us to see as we open this. A couple years ago, actually it was 2017. That's hard to believe that's more than a couple years ago now. Uh, we walked through the book of Daniel as a church family, and it was meaningful then. And this week, as I've come back to it, it's been meaningful uh, again. And I pray it will be for you as we open to the story this morning. Let's uh, pray as we open God's word together this morning. Father, you are the God of Daniel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of Esther, and the God of all of our ancestors. And God, I lift up your name this morning as the God who saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fire, as the God who saved Daniel from the mouths of the lions, and who, whom we trust to uh, save us in our own danger today. God, I thank you for Jesus Christ, for his way of life and his purpose that he gives to us. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit who still inspires these words of Scripture for our hearing today. I pray this morning you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Well, we're a long way from the book of Genesis, at least uh, time-wise at this point. But we're actually closer than we've ever been to the Garden of Eden for the people of Israel than this uh, in this story than we've been. Because uh, Babylon is likely the area around which through the Tigris and Euphrates rivers that the Garden of Eden would have been in Mesopotamia. And they've been away in Egypt. They've been away in the Promised Land. Now they're exiled and they're closer to where this story began. But we have to go back to chapter one of the story to remind ourselves of how it all started, right? It was the Garden of Eden. There was this serpent and this fruit that tempted Adam and Eve and then sin enters the world. God tries to start over in chapter 6 with the flood story with Noah and his family, but that fails uh, as well. And so God starts over once more in Genesis chapter 12 with Abram and Sarai, this old barren couple 
that he promises to bring an entire nation out of. And from that story, God goes with Israel into slavery. He frees them from slavery, moves them toward the promised land, gives them the law. And that law is intended to help them live distinctly and different from the nations that are around them. That's the hope is that these people would love God with everything they have and love the nations around them to love their neighbor as themselves. And Israel doesn't really live it out all that well, as we've seen. God gives them second chance and third chance and they try and they try again, but eventually they end up in this place. And by chapter 18, uh, Israel is no longer in the promised land. The the northern part of Israel uh, was exiled to Assyria in 722 BC. And then in 586 BC, like we talked about last week, they're exiled the the tribe of Judah, uh, the southern portion of Jerusalem and the surrounding area to Babylon. So when we open the book of Daniel, this is the situation. And Jeremiah has prophesied to them and said, look, it's going to be 70 years before you get to return home to Jerusalem. And so the, stock, the, the clock is finally ticking on these 70 years as these exiles end up in Babylon. Now, it starts actually before Jerusalem is destroyed by them uh, exiling, taking away the best and brightest young men from uh, Jerusalem and the surrounding areas to go to Babylon to engage in Babylon University. They educated them in their language, their science and arts, all with the hope that they could one day become leaders for and in Babylon. And by the supernatural grace of God, Daniel uh, rises above those around him. He is honored and revered for the kind of person he is, for the gifts that he exhibits. But there is a particular gift that Daniel has that sets him apart from the rest. And that is his gift of interpreting dreams. And if you think about interpreting dreams, that probably lights up some lights on your dashboard if you remember earlier in the story, because there's a story earlier with this guy named Joseph who winds up in a similar place to Daniel. Joseph is the, I don't know if I can get these generations right, but you've got Abraham, who's the great father of Israel, and then you've got Isaac, and then you've got Jacob, and underneath that is Joseph and his 11 brothers, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and Joseph is sent by his brothers into slavery in Egypt. And if you remember that story, he struggles along the way, but he's able to interpret dreams as well. He interprets Pharaoh's dreams and says, look, you're going to have seven years of plenty and then you're going to have seven years of famine. And he saves Egypt in this scene and ends up helping his family through this process as well. But there are other echoes in the story of Daniel this week that I came across. And one of those comes from a book that I'd like for us to open up to right now. It's the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. As I was reading uh, in the story earlier, this is the, the, the passage of Scripture that really stuck out to me along with Joseph earlier in the story. This is what Peter writes in his letter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Peter opens his book by saying, here's who you are. Your identity is you are exiles. Exiles. This is an important word, I believe, for those of us who are uh, living in America right now. Now, we may not feel like an alien or a stranger, but this is who we are, according to Peter in his book. You may have grown up in Allen or, or North Texas all of your life. But if you're a Christian, ultimately, you are an exile in this place on planet Earth. 
Another way that it's said is actually in Philippians chapter uh, 3, verse 20. This is how Paul uh, describes who Christians are in his own day. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul would say to us today, yeah, you may have a passport that reads citizen of the United States, but ultimately if you're a follower of Jesus, you're in exile. Your citizenship is actually in heaven and you can claim dual citizenship, but don't be confused about where you actually are from and what you're here to do. The old hymn says it well. We actually sang it this morning. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. That hymn reminds us, along with First Peter and Joseph and Daniel, that we are exiles, even at this time and place. And as exiles and strangers in the world, the question is, how are we to live in the midst of the places that God has called us to live in this time and this place? Peter actually gives us good advice later on in First Peter verse chapter 2, verse 11. Listen to this uh, paragraph. It may be something you want to uh, set aside for this week to study and spend more time with because I think it really orients us well in this time in our own nation. Again, First Peter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter's words describe the kind of life that Joseph lived in Egypt. If you remember that story, he did abstain from those sinful desires, right? Potiphar's wife comes at him and and he rejects that. He abstains from the opportunity that's before him. And he lives such good lives among the pagans, the Egyptians in that time, that he was elevated to a place of prominence and influence. Peter's words describe the life that Daniel lived in Babylon. He abstained from the diet that the king had put before him and instead ate vegetables only. And we see that God actually gives him prominence, right? He, he, he lives such good lives that the Babylonians who are around them elevate him to a place of prominence. This is how exiles and strangers are to live. And this is how we as Christians are to live on the earth. We are to live lives of integrity, abstaining from sinful desires. And we are to bless the city in which we live as exiles and strangers. See, Daniel's life brought blessing to Babylon. Babylon was a better place because Daniel was there. In fact, let me show you something pretty cool that I think Daniel's paying attention to probably as he's living in that time to give him this encouragement. Last week, we talked about a couple of prophets that were there speaking uh, to Israel in the midst of this exile in 586 BC. One of those was a guy named Jeremiah. And if you remember, Jeremiah was the one who stayed in Jerusalem and he was there prophesying before the destruction of Jerusalem, during it and afterwards as well. And what's interesting is, did did you know that Daniel had some of the writings that the prophet Jeremiah had written? In fact, after Jeremiah died, it was his writings that spiritually fed and encouraged the people of God while they were in Babylon. Listen to this. This is the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 1. It says there, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. You see what it's saying? Jeremiah had sent this letter, this prophecy to the exiles who were there under Nebuchadnezzar, which means Daniel would have likely heard these words. Drop down to verse four, what he says. 
This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. See, God's vision was for them not to just wait until they get back to Jerusalem. He says, now build houses, settle down, plant crops, marry your sons and your daughters, and seek the good, the prosperity, the peace of the city to which you were called. God's vision has always been this, for God's people to receive the blessing of God and not hold on to it, but to bless the city that's around it. And Daniel walked this word out. He went through their university system, learning much about the culture, and he carried out his job in the culture, and he brought blessing to Babylon in the process. In fact, it's ironic that the very thing Daniel's uh, colleagues tried to do to shut him down in Daniel chapter 6, praying to his God, might have been the very thing that was blessing their nation more than any other cause at that time. And that story, I want to get to it in Daniel chapter 6. It's the story of Daniel and the lion's den. But before we get to the lion's den part, I want to read a bit before that. Because Daniel kept his integrity when he was in Babylon. This comes right before he's thrown into the lion's den. This is in Daniel chapter 6, verse 3 and following. Listen to who Daniel is in the midst of these times. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. And what a remarkable statement. Wouldn't we want that to be said of us in the midst of challenging times? Is that even the people who have it out for us that want to find some corruption to call us out, they can't find a thing. He lived with such integrity that those around him only had one charge they could bring against him. He's so committed to his God and his, the law of his God that surely that's how we're going to catch him in something. That's the only weakness they could exploit. So they go to King Darius, who's now the actually king of Persia. Persia had taken over Babylon at this time. And, and King Darius, they appeal to his pride and they convince him to establish a law that for 30 days, no one in Babylon can pray to anyone except for King Darius. And the penalty for deciding to pray in any other way is that they would be thrown into the lion's den. So what does Daniel do? Well, he does exactly what Jeremiah had told the exiles to do. He prays to the Lord. Listen to this in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Daniel was in this regular habit. This was his daily rhythm. Three times a day, he would go into this room. He would open the doors to Jerusalem and he would pray to his God. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I want to know the scriptures in times like these because uh, if I were caught in this situation where there was this, you know, 
decree that I couldn't pray to God in the midst of this time, I, I wouldn't do it like Daniel. I wouldn't open the window and pray towards Jerusalem. I would count on another verse from Jesus who says, look, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Like go into your pray closet. Don't pray like the hypocrites on the street corners, right? That's the verse to pull out in this scene. That's not what Daniel does. Opens the doors to Jerusalem. He gets down on his knees and he prays and he thanks God amazingly in this. Now, why is it important that the doors are opened to Jerusalem? Remember, Daniel has the writings of the prophets of Jeremiah and potentially access to to other earlier writings of what would become scripture. And I have to wonder if 1 Kings chapter 8 was one of those places that he had his bookmark in, that he was paying attention to. Listen to this from 1 Kings chapter 8. This is the scene where Solomon is actually dedicating the temple, the the, the temple that he had uh, established after David and during his reign. Listen to what he says during the dedication of the temple. I, I have to think this is one of those major times where Daniel would have referred back to. This is 1 Kings 8 verse 35. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you. And when they pray toward this place and give praise to your name and turn from their sin because you have afflicted them. Then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them the right way to live and send rain on the land you gave your people for an inheritance. When famine or plagues come to the land or blight or mildew locusts or grasshoppers, or when an enemy besieges them in any of their cities, whatever disaster or disease may come. And when a prayer or plea is made by anyone among your people, Israel, being aware of the afflictions of their own hearts and spreading out their hands toward this temple, then hear uh, hear from heaven, your dwelling place. Solomon doing? He's praying to God saying, eventually there's going to come a day that even though we all are giving you glory and praise right now at the dedication of this temple, there's going to come a day where the locusts come. There's going to come a day where the city is besieged. And in that day, when they pray toward this place, when they pray toward Jerusalem, remember and come to their defense. And God goes on to give the blessings that Solomon had prayed for. It's likely that this is at the root of the reason that Daniel prays with the doors open to his room, praying toward Jerusalem, claiming the promise that Solomon had prayed so many years before. And in Daniel 6, it says an important phrase also about the kind of prayer he prays. He doesn't pray for the destruction of his enemies. He doesn't pray for any of those things. He prays giving thanks daily in the midst of his challenge. Even in this, Daniel is giving thanks to his God. And in the end, God hears Daniel's prayers. But I want you to notice that God answers Daniel's prayers probably a little differently than the prayer Daniel had petitioned to him with. And a lot of us can recognize that in our own lives, right? We pray prayers to God. We ask for specific things. And it seems like sometimes God's timing is not our timing. It seems like sometimes, God, why are you not responding in this way? If I were Daniel, I know what it would sound like, my prayers. If I were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fire's there, my prayer was not, God, let me go into the fire and not be burned. My prayer would be, God, destroy your enemies and make sure I never see the fire. And I'm guessing Daniel's prayer was probably the very same thing. God, don't send me into the lion's den. I'm trusting you. Keep me out of the lion's den. But what we find in this story is God's upper story perspective is different than the prayers from the lower perspective of Daniel. Daniel wants his preservation, I'm sure. 
And I'm guessing he would have never wanted to be thrown in the lion's den, but God has a purpose larger than Daniel can see. Listen to what happens in the pages that follow. This is Daniel 6, verse 19 and following. This is the night or the morning after the lion's den scene. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. At the beginning of the sermon, I mentioned to you that we're a long way from Genesis. But I think it's an understanding Genesis chapter 12 that we see the power of God's timing. This is God's promise to Abram all the way back in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God did not bless Abram just so that Abram and his family would be blessed. Now the promise from verse three is I'm blessing you not to hold on to that blessing. I'm blessing you so that all peoples, all nations, all places you may be exiled, wondering what God's up to would be blessed in those seasons. He chose Abram so that he could bless the whole world. He didn't choose Israel so that Jerusalem would always have a wall around it and be Israel's possession. He chose Israel so that ultimately all nations would come to know the power of the living God. And so when Jerusalem is destroyed by the Babylonians, it has to raise some doubts among the people and concerns the people of God. Where was God? What is he up to? Is he not as powerful as these other nations? Why is he not answering our prayers and coming to our aid? And when Daniel is thrown into the lion's den, from his perspective, it had to look pretty dim. But to God, that night in the lion's den was the way he was going to accomplish the promise he'd made to Abram in Genesis 12, verse 3. Imagine that. Darius, king of Persia, proclaiming that everyone needs to believe in the God of Daniel. Now, if you're anything like me in this season, you're wondering what in the world God's up to. But where are you? Where is your salvation? Do you hear my prayers? Are you not powerful enough? Is your arm not long enough to do this? And from my earthly perspective, there are times I second guess the way things are going. But one of the things I learned from Daniel is this. If Daniel and his friends would have been obsessed with their losses in Jerusalem, 
If that's all they would have been concerned about is the past and what God failed to do, they would not have been present to see the amazing work that God was going to do in Babylon. And I would suggest this morning, the same is true in our own time. I don't know what losses you're experiencing right now. I don't know what you're wondering why God's up to it, but it can be easy in these moments where we don't get the answer on our timeline or where things aren't going as we'd hope or where God doesn't step in to look to the past and think, God, why have you not done this? But you'll never get to see the salvation from the lion's den or from the fire if all you're focused on is the failings of God in the past. We have to lean into the present moment and ask God, we don't see things from your perspective. We see things from ours and we don't know why things are going on, but we are keeping our eyes trained on this present moment for what you are going to do rather than just all the things you failed to do. The goal was never an obsession with Israel. Israel was never the point. God was blessing Israel for the point of blessing all nations on the earth. It can be really easy to forget this church, but we are exiles. We are strangers in this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. And as long as Daniel and his friends are obsessing over their citizenship in Jerusalem, they're going to miss the great work that God's doing in this day and this time. And they can't bless the nations that God's called them to bless. And the longer we remain obsessed over God's running of things in our place of exile, the less energy we have to devote to the amazing thing God wants to do through his church in all lands, the citizens of all of, of, the, of, the, of heaven come to be ambassadors of God's love to earth. Daniel has much to teach us. And I hope this week has provided you a chance to learn from him too, to remember who we are, where our citizenship lies, to remember that this world is not our home. And yet at the same time, while we're called to this world, we're called to abstain from sinful desires that war against our lives and to pray for and work toward the peace and prosperity of the cities God has called us. God is still calling his church to that. And church, we need to be about that work. Amen. Let's pray as we close this morning. Father, I confess this morning that sometimes I forget where my citizenship truly lies. Sometimes my concern and my worry really shows that I'm not as committed to you and your kingdom as I am to the kingdoms of this world. I got so much of our world right now is divided because we've forgotten this truth that this world isn't our home, that ultimately the home that we have is a world where you'll renew all things and it won't have the same lines that we use to divide each other up by. But God, that doesn't mean that we're exempt from blessing this world. In fact, we're the very people you've called on to receive your blessing so that we can extend it around us. And so God, would you help us to abstain from the evil desires that war against our hearts? that we might live such good lives among the people around us who don't know Jesus, that they may praise you, our Father in heaven. And we also pray, God, that we can be the kind of people who plant crops, believing that they'll grow even in this time. That we'll be people who, who have sons and daughters, that we marry our sons and daughters, that that we build houses and we settle down, realizing that even though this world is not our home, we have an obligation to be salt and light 
to receive your blessing and to extend it. So God, we pray for the good of Allen, Texas, for Collin County, and for the world around us that you've called us to, that they may see the good deeds that we try to live out through your spirit and they may praise you for it. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We'll be standing now as we close our time this morning. I just want to remind you of the truth that's so easy to forget, and that's this. You are an exile. You're a stranger. Your citizenship lies in heaven more than any other citizenship you have. But at the same time, you're called to bless this place. God is pouring blessing into your life. So abstain from the evil desires that war against your soul. And extend the blessing of God to those, your neighbors around you. May we love God. May we love people. Go in peace today. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.